most people are trying to use their head as their office and your head's just a crappy office. So a lot of what I discovered is look, you need to build an external brain. So your external brain is your office. Then you can walk in and out of your office and decide what you want to do with what's in your office, as opposed to trying to have your head have that job. Welcome to The Change Alchemist. Today's guest is David Allen. David is an author consultant and founder of the David Allen Company. He's widely recognized as the world's leading authority on getting things done, GTD, a system of personal and organizational productivity that I've personally been following for many years. Time magazine labeled his first book, Getting Things Done, as the defining self-help business book of the decade. David Allen is the author of three books, the international bestseller, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, Ready for Anything, and Making It All Work, Winning at the Game of Work and Business of Life. Getting Things Done has been a perennial business bestseller since its publication in 2001 and is now published in 28 languages. Welcome to The Change Alchemist, uh, David. It is such a pleasure to have you here. I, I have been a of yours for such a long time, and I'm excited to um, be talking to you about GTD today. Okay, delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Shabbat. Let's start at the very beginning. I listened to your podcast um, with Tim Ferriss, and I listened to a whole slew of other podcasts, you talk about your origin story in the podcast with Tim Ferriss, living in Berkeley in 1968, no better time to live in Berkeley. You talk about how you started pursuing your PhD, and now you're a productivity guru. I would say you are the person that's led this whole movement in productivity, creating this GTD framework. I'd love for you to walk us through your origin story and um, how it's evolved into this new paradigm, productivity. Well, I, you know, I early on just got attracted to clear space in my meditation practices, martial arts practices, and so forth. And that seemed to make a lot of difference to me. I'd been read and been involved in, you know, in high school, even I got turned on to Zen and read Alan Watts and Suzuki and so forth by the time I'd even left high school. So I loved sort of that aesthetic, somehow the minimalist that makes room for huge creativity and expansion. So I, I sort of loved that aesthetic and have for all my life. And then I dropped out of graduate school because I sort of wanted my own enlightenment instead of just studying other people's. So went on to my own self-exploration journey. And that's what led me into the martial arts. It led me into meditation, led me into all kinds of explorations of the spiritual, the non-visible worlds and how they affected and impacted ourselves and how we could engage with that in some actually even practical way. And they don't pay people to do that. So I had to have, I had to find jobs just to pay the rent. I wound up helping a lot of my friends who seemed to know what they were doing and they were creating their own businesses, small little entrepreneurs and small businesses. And so I wound up being a good number two guy. So I helped to where a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my jobs came from was just helping friends run a landscape company, run a restaurant, sell mopeds, sell vitamins, 
all kinds of things. So, but I would just come in and see what they were doing. There's got to be an easier way to do this. I'm just Mr. Lazy. So I've been lazy all of all my life. Is there an easier way we could get this done? Can we leave work a little earlier? You know, is there some way to... So now they call that process improvement. I was just looking around and saying, there's got to be some easier way to, to do what you're trying to do. And so I would help them do that and then fix it. Then I got bored. I was done. And then I just go leave that and get another job. Then I discovered they pay people to do that. They call them consultants. So, you know, okay. <laughs> Hung out my shingle in 1982, created Allen Associates, started my own little consulting practice. And then because my life was getting more complex, you know, doing that, then I said, hmm, there's got to be easier ways to keep clear space in my head. And so I wound up with some mentors and just piece by piece started to pull together these best practices for myself about how do I surf on top of my world. Then I turned around and said, hmm, well, I wonder if that works for my clients. And it produced exactly the same results for them as it did for me. More focus, more control, more stability, more of a sense of clarity about priorities, et cetera. So that became just sort of the core essentially of what I was, uh, of my consulting practice. We didn't call it coaching back then, but that's a lot of what it was. And then somebody in the big corporate world saw what I was doing and say, gee, David, we need that in our whole company. Can you design some sort of a training program around what you've come up with as a methodology? And so I did, and it was quite successful. That sort of thrust me into the corporate training world, 1983, 84. And uh, then, like, who knew if you'd have told me as an American intellectual history major at Berkeley in 68 that I was going to be in the corporate training world, I'd go, you know, what are you smoking? Well, give me a break. But it turned out that was the, the hungriest audience for what I'd come up with. You know, the, it was the mid to senior level fast track professionals that were getting bombarded with the tsunami of email and so forth back in their in mid 80s. And also a lot of the change that was going on. And my first client was Lockheed. And so the aerospace industry was going through a lot of those changes back then in the 80s. So I wound up then following my nose, one foot in front of the other, all referral-based. I never did any marketing. I, I just picked up the phone. But people said, by, by the way, I heard you did this or whatever. Or my wife was in this company and she went through her training. It was fabulous. Can you come to, into our company? So then I wound up, fast forward, the next 20, 25 years, just training thousands of people in the corporate training world and my consulting turned into actually coaching for mid to senior level professionals in these companies that were very interested in me sitting desk side with them helping them implement this methodology personally so that's where i have thousands of hours quite literally one-on-one -on -one, sitting right across from some of the best and brightest people you'd ever meet walking them through this methodology that gave me the confidence that tested this stuff out yeah, there are no holes in this. And so, it, it, but it took me 20, 25 years, Shabon, to, to figure out that what I'd figured out was unique and that nobody else had done it. I guess because I'd never had any traditional formal training in time management, business, or psychology. And this was all street smart. This was all just experience. And then finding out what really worked and then seeing if I could, you know, manage that and, and transmit that to other people. So that's when I got some good coaching said, gee, David, you ought to write the book. You know, you need to create a manual about all the stuff you've come up with in the last 25 years. So I did, and that's where getting things done. The first edition of that showed up in 2001, but that was the result of a lot of years and a lot of hours. And also testing this out and making sure there were no holes in it. 
you couldn't punch a hole in this. You know, anybody who implemented any of this methodology is going to feel more control, more focus, more space to do whatever they're interested in doing. You call this GTD, right? Getting things done. We just, you know, I got 600 used titles to a book. I'll sell you quick in terms of trying to figure out how to title the book. So we wound up titling and getting things done because the, 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 the early market for this was really the fast track professional. And so, you know, that just became the name. And that was GTD was just our shorthand. We didn't have any marketing about that, but it turned out that GTD sort of became this brand that ran out from under us, especially because when it went into paperback in 2003, it hit the tech world and the tech world really took to this like crazy. And so they spread it around the world fast. <laughs> and so GTD was showing up all over the world out there. We, we had no idea that was going to happen, but it did. So then, anyway, that's a short version of a very long story. No, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And you mentioned in that, in your website, that over 2 million people have used GTD in their lives, um, including me. So walk us through what that framework looks like. Um, obviously, it's simple, but the devil's in the details. So perhaps you could talk about the framework and then people can get started. It's not something you're born doing, but it's not hard to do. You're not born knowing how to cook spaghetti, but that's not hard to do. Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of things born doing, but if you learn some simple practices, then you can do them really well. So in the same way, GTD just includes, actually what I did was I didn't make it up. I, I just recognized the best practices that allow us to stay focused and clear. You need to identify the stuff that's on your mind, that's spinning around in your head and externalize it. That's the capture step. You then need to look at what you've written down and say, what am I going to do about that? If anything, you need to clarify it by deciding if it's actionable. If it is, then what's the next action and what's the final outcome committed to, if any. And then you need to organize the reminders of that stuff in some sort of external brain that you trust. So you can see the errands you need to run, stuff you need to talk to your boss about, stuff you need to, websites you need to surf, stuff you need to talk to your partner about, et cetera. You just need to be able to see all of those things. That's the organized step is just park those things someplace you trust, like a post-it on your fridge for groceries saying, come on, or your calendar. Those are all just, those are all just lists. They're all just reminder lists of things you want to be reminded of at the right time. So I just took that to the nth degree and said, okay, everything. <laughs> you know, then if you want to have a clear head and not have to be, remember, remind yourself inappropriately or inefficiently, then you better park that stuff somewhere that you trust you'll see at the right time, which then step four. Once you've captured, clarified, and organized your stuff, then you need to look at your list. You need to look at, you need to look at the content on some consistent basis, keep it current, and then take a look at all of that to locate yourself in space and time so that step five, when you engage your activities or your thinking or your focus, it's a trusted choice. That's, that's all it is, Siobhan. So capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. You it make does. it sound simple, but- It I is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's how you got your kitchen under control. It's how you get a meeting under control. It's how you get your desk under control. So, you know, I, I'm sorry, but there is a bit of a duh factor here. <laughs> I want you to talk about um, something you mentioned on your website, the concept of mind like water, which I think mm -hmm. is important as we sort of try to uh, have a relaxed balance of perspective and control. 
So this is not an empty mind. I'm just quoting you. It's a mind that's operating at a more productive and creative level. GTD helps you achieve and maintain that optimal condition using your mental energies to think about things rather than think of them. This concept of mind like water um, seems like a, a very spiritual condition. So do you have, are there exercises that you, we can do to keep the mind more fluid like water? Because often I find I get overwhelmed when I'm trying to get things under control. There are interruptions, there are things that happen in life. Life is not predictable. Can you kind of expand on this concept? Sure, you just capture, clarify, organize, and reflect, and then make comfortable choices about what you do. Now, everything you just mentioned is a new input you allow into your life. Whether they're thoughts you have or input that you get from other people, it's just all the same stuff. It's like stuff you've allowed in. By the way, I don't care about your email, you do. Right? The world doesn't care about your email, it's fine. It's not overwhelmed. It's only how you are engaging with your world that creates that sense of either overwhelm or anxiety. It's not so much overwhelm. So the biggest issue is ambient anxiety that most people tolerate. You're willing to wake up at three o'clock in the morning about something. Oh my God, I should. Oh, what about? Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot anything. Come on. That's just inefficient, ineffective, and stress producing. And it also takes up cognitive real estate that's not available to be, to be making good, creative, strategic, intuitive choices. Right? You need to clear your head. So then you don't have to go very far. You just say, what's on my mind that's taking up cognitive real estate? How do I get that off my mind? So yeah, I mean, when the world changes and surprises you, you've got new stuff that's like coming in and you have to then re-clarify, reassess, refocus based upon that new input. Come on, you're doing, that's how you ride a bicycle. That's how you play tennis. That's how you do anything. You're constant, you have the principles, but then you're constantly recalibrating based upon the reality that's showing up. So you don't think you have to be a certain type to um, have mind like water, for example, an organized no. person or a spiritual no. person. Okay, anyway, yeah. do this. Uh, and you, you say spiritual, I just say, okay, well, I use a small S. I say, yeah, if you're into somehow the invisible worlds and you think that's important to you, but it doesn't, it's not required for this. It's just, if you do spiritual practices, it's a lot easier to do GDD. So if your head's clearer, so you can have better meditations. Let's talk about meditation. Do you do meditation as part of GTD or to, to supplement? Would you recommend something like that for people? Come on, it's like the mindfulness. You focus on your breathing, get present. And it can bring you present. Whatever you need to do that. Okay. You know, but we teach this stuff to nine-year-olds. You know, they don't have any concept or necessarily any concept about that. They kind of resonate the fact that what do I do at the end of the week with the stuff that I've accumulated in my pack? Mm -hmm. The notes from my teacher, I need my mom to sign. So I don't have, that's not spiritual. That's just practical about how do I manage, you know, the things that I've allowed to show up in my life so that I have a clearer space to be able to do whatever it is that I like to do. And if what you like to do is be able to watch your kid play soccer instead of be on your iPhone or do meditative practices or cook spaghetti. <laughs> this just allows you to be more present with all of that. See, what GTD and these practices do is they give you space. You don't need time. There is no more time. What you need is room. You need room to think about the things the way you want to think about them and room to be free to think, you know, in more creative, intuitive, strategic ways. 
But if your cognitive real estate is taken up with all the would, could, should, need to, oh, I got to remember, I got to do that, you know, good luck. Yeah. I just figured out how do you clear that out? It doesn't mean you finish those things. It just means you appropriately engage with them mm -hmm. so that some part of your mind doesn't have to keep being thinking it needs to remember or remind. And by the way, Shabana, if your system is not better than your mind, your mind cannot let go. Lovely. So, you, so you, you mentioned early on that you've maybe fallen off the GTD wagon and simply because you started to trust your head instead of your system. Okay. No, I love that. I really like your methodology for taking control of various aspects of ta task management. We talked about the framework. Um, can you sort of add some color about the emotional aspects of beginning and completion of work? Is there some way you celebrate those moments? Well, as soon as you put something in motion, as soon as you commit to something, and that could be as subtle as, oh, I ought to, or that'd be a cool idea if I did, or whatever. As soon as you make any of those kind of commitments, it starts to spin subliminally, some sort of a, what I call an open loop. It's a loop that keeps spinning in there. It'll spin subliminally without sense of space or time, wake you up at three o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh, what about? Da, 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 da. And so this is, most people are trying to use their head as their office and your head's just a crappy office. So a lot of what I discovered is like, you need to build an external brain. So your external brain is your office. Then you can walk in and out of your office and decide what you want to do with what's in your office, as opposed to trying to have your head have that job. And it just does a bad, bad job about that. But again, you know, come on, if you didn't trust your calendar or what's on there, your head has to take it back. Yeah. All right. And if you don't trust the recipe that you're the new thing you're trying to cook you know, <laughs> you that you read in the book, your head takes it all back as opposed to, okay, let me check this. Doesn't mean you're going to follow that recipe. It just means I need that structure so that it gives me the freedom to make some intuitive, spontaneous things that might want to experiment. Maybe not do just what's on that recipe. So that's why, you know, what's a, what all of my actions that have been determined already are sitting in my external brain doesn't mean I'm going to do them all. I may look at them and go, no, it's time for a nap or time for a beer or something as opposed to any of that. But at least I know what I'm not doing so that my, that I get to be able to let it go and let my brain and let myself do whatever I feel like doing. Which kind of uh, brings me to a question I think is important to a lot of my listeners, the weekly review. I've been amazed at what the weekly review can do for people. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that means and how people should start deploying that in their, in their lives? Sure, it just means catching up. It's like, you know, the middle, like bringing up the rear guard as the military would say. It's like, you know, come on, anybody listening or watching this right now in the last seven days, there's a lot of stuff that's happened that they haven't had time to identify what the project is or what their commitment is, but they know they got it. So when are they going to do that? So that kind of self-reflection process is absolutely just critical on an operational basis, not every hour, every day. Well, sometimes, sure, if you're in a you know, high-tech startup that's spinning like crazy, you need stand-up meetings every day with your team. So it depends on what kind of recalibration you need with what new inputs showed up out there. But in generally speaking, we've seen over all these years that once a week seems to be a, a recursion that's extremely important. Because once a week, you need to be looking back at all the projects you have 
and all the things that are going to take more than one step to finish that are on your plate. And that's a list, by the way, most people don't have, but most people mid to senior level professionals anyway, have 30 to hundred projects, like more than one step things that can finish within a year, hire the vice president. Should we get divorced? Should we adopt? You know, my tooth hurts. I need to think about fixing that. You know, these are all projects. And so if you really were able to capture and clarify all of those things, you know, that's a big inventory of stuff. And you don't need to be able, you don't need to look at all that stuff every hour, every day, but once a week, you better. Because this stuff is moving fast. It's changing fast. And so you need to reassess. Is that a real thing I'm still interested in doing? What's the status of this thing in terms of where I am? So it's just a, it's just a regular review process. And anybody in a business out there has done any kind of regular quarterly review or weekly review or whatever about what's going on. Well, that's all it is. Just about that for your whole life. You know, why would you only do that about work and not do that about your life? You know, how are your kids? What do they do this week? What's new? What do you, what's coming up? You know, what, what are the things you need to be preparing for given that's coming toward, you know, those are all things that this kind of review, you won't do that on a daily basis. You're too busy. But once a week, you better step back and sort of lift up at your horizon a little bit. As we say, manage the forest instead of hug the trees. So, you know, that's what it is. And do you recommend pen to paper or do you recommend software? How do you recommend people do this? Anything, doesn't matter. Whatever it is you use, whatever you like that keeps lists that you can review easily. I know a lot of high tech people that have gone back to paper simply because it's a little more evident, it's more in their hands, it's more in front of them and there are no clicks, there's no batteries, there's no Wi-Fi required. and you know, neither one of those is better. There's there's downside to paper and downside to digital in terms of keeping track of all this stuff. Just have to find what works for you. What are you currently using, you know, for lists that you actually use, not just some good idea on a weekend. I'm talking about what you really, really, really use. It's paper for and me. Yeah, well, that's probably the best. A lot of high tech, a lot of high tech people I end up going back to paper, especially if you're more ADD or ADHD inclined in terms of easily distractible as soon as you have to do more than one or two clicks on your computer you won't too much work personally what do you like i like both well i use i use paper for capture mm-hmm. simply because i can it's ubiquitous like anywhere i go i don't have to be concerned about any of that because my capture is not organized my capture is just ideas that i might do something about but later on, I will do that. But my capture is 98%, you know, just physical material, you know, that way. Now, once I decide what to do about the note I took, yeah, I'm using a digital tool, but we just migrated to Office 365. So I'm using tasks, you know, the to-dos inside of Office 365 is fine. It's a simple list manager. So that's fine. And then do you use some kind of horizon planning to figure out when you want to time block to achieve those goals and tasks? No. no. I do that, but I feel like I need to do that. Okay. I don't, have, I don't have any rules about any of that. I just say, what do I need to do? Given the changing circumstances, given what's going on, do we need to do a kind of a rethink? And sometimes I'll bring my wife in to help me do that or my, my staff that I, that I work with. And sometimes that's the best context 
to do that kind of thinking. And but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just. Hmm. But come on, I'm 76, Shabbat. I've done this stuff for for years, you know. So I just kind of live that way. Yeah, it's, so it's like, probably it's second like nature for you. Got to be a little strategic about what we say yes to and what we say no to. And that was sure. one question. Well, you're not going to get rid. Of, you're, you're not going to get rid of that until you die. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even not then. Right. Yeah. You don't. You don't get rid of hard choices. You don't get rid of. Should I do this versus that? This does not eliminate that. It makes it easier to make those decisions. But those decisions still are going to come. And those decisions could be because of something you don't like that showed up, you're going to have to change or deal with, or something that's an opportunity that shows up, and you're going to have to make that decision. Should we move? Should I take that job? Should I you know, do X, Y, Z? And so you, you don't get rid of those. Yeah. You just, want to, you just want more of a clear space in your head. So it's easier to make a good decision instead of just being driven by what's latest and loudest in your life. You talked about tech being the first audience, the first early adopters of GTD and productivity. Now, as the world has changed, as things have become faster and as technology has permeated everyone's lives, uh, how do you see productivity and GTD changing and evolving, even in your coaching and and just in your own work it doesn't hasn't changed at all for these 40 years okay. i still do exactly the same thing i did 40 years ago i walk in and go what's got your attention let's externalize it dump it down make a big list let's go through each one of those things decide your next action on it hey what kind of system do you want to keep track of you know what you're coming up with here that's no different what's different is the audience how many people need this now as opposed to 40 years ago, you know, so now it's pretty much, I'd say 90% of the professional world is, could use this. Like, that's why I rewrote the, the book and, and the new edition in 20, 2015 was really not because the methodology changed, it was because the audience changed. I knew even from the beginning, this worked for physicians and for clergy and for stay-at-home dads and for students. I knew it worked for anybody. It's just, we, the early versions of this were targeted toward the fast track professional that's why i'm in a suit and tie on the, the first edition of the book and <laughs> no tie on the second edition of the book you know i'm a kind of loose hangout spontaneous kind of guy so you know I'm, it's a little what's changed probably is a little bit more also a little more authentic expression of my of mine about how relaxed you can be and don't need to be so uptight about all this stuff Productivity, as you know, Shaman, has got a lot of baggage as a word. Yes. A lot of people, a lot of people think harder work or more. You want, to, you want to go to a party and have fun? You don't have fun. It's an unproductive party. So, you know, what are you after? Fun, relaxation, life work, life work balance, which is a hoax. All life is work and all work is life. So, you know, it's all, it's all kind of the same thing. It's just about feeling comfortable about what you're doing and comfortable about what you're not doing. It's really all of this. You just mentioned that your audience is now everybody, 80% of the world, perhaps. How can creative types leverage productivity? And maybe you could give us some stories from uh, your coaching practice, uh, if people are willing to be quoted about how people were helped and how they succeeded with GTD. Well, there's a guy named Howard Stern, a lot of people know in the U.S., is, you know, uh, who, who one of our coaches coached him and changed his life. 
he thought he was going to have to give up all the, the his his radio businesses and everything because he was just feeling so overwhelmed. And the people around him were just not handling things really well. So he wound up hiring my coach as the COO, if she's still there. And he gave him the time and opportunity to learn to paint, which he'd always wanted to do. So he talked to Howard. He talked about it for six months on the radio. He did. He <laughs> so did. I can, he I can, did. So I, can, so I can use his name, but that's one example. I mean, there's, I don't know, hundreds, dozens of people in the creative world. I mean, Will Smith and Robert Downey Jr., they're all champions. They're all, you know, advocates of my stuff. So, yeah, and of course, they're all running businesses in addition to their entertainment and creative worlds. So they're busy folks. So, but that, you know, it just gives, especially people that are creative, people think creativity and organization are opposite, but, I, you know, ask any painter, show me your paintbrushes, totally organized. Ask any musician about, well, show me, where's your music? What are you doing? Totally organized. Ask any golfer, you know, if you like to golf, show me your golf clubs. They're totally organized. Anybody, anything you love to do, you're going to organize and, and structure what you need to do so that you can focus on your craft and your art as opposed to the tools or as opposed to the techniques or the methodology. Hey, come on, take a French chef. <laughs> they have a phrase called mise en place. Mm. I mean, before the bell rings, everything had better be in its place because it's going to get nuts when the bell rings right in the kitchen and so the pans the, all the tools everything had better be already ready because it's going to get crazy great great analogy great example i know great analogy and i i think that um life is full of choices like you said and we have so much to do Unlocking that time and space to do the things you really love to do is, is something everybody wants to do. Not everybody thinks they can be organized and you're telling us there's a way to do that. You just have to spend the time and use a framework. Sure, well, come on, if you were totally disorganized, you couldn't get out of bed. So everybody is organized to some degree to do whatever they're doing. Yeah. Otherwise your life would just fall apart, so. Everybody's organized to some degree. So it's not about being organized versus not being organized. It's like to what degree about what things do you want to be organized? So or, one you know, one question, a question from a listener is, um, how does one generate energy to go through life and follow the GTD process? Do you have any thoughts on this? No, no. not really. I mean, you're interested in doing this. Is how interested are you in having a clear head? It's up to you. You can have a clear head even if you have COVID, even if you have the virus, even if you're stuck in bed. If you, you know, you can still go. Okay, well, wait a minute. It doesn't mean work harder. It just means well, what do I need to do to get this off my mind so that my mind is clearer to think about what I want to be thinking about. I guess this person is affected by what's happening around us, um, you know, the, the, the events in Ukraine, as well as general, sure. no, yeah, the I general understand. geopolitical scenario, yeah. Sure, but come on, there's nothing new in the world. <laughs> in, what, in what way are the challenges showing up? You know, again, our mission with this work is to have a world where there are no problems, only projects, or at least people are then 
are able to perceive problems as projects. Yeah, I guess they're watching TV and spending time on things that they should not be doing, is my guess. Unless that's what they want to do. That's right. That's right. Because time is limited as a resource. Unfortunately, then things will fall off your list if uh, you, don't, uh, you don't attend to them. So part of the challenge with creating a list of things to do when you capture and you clarify is you actually have to go and do them. So if you don't, I think it creates some unease and dissonance. And this, I feel, is one of the reasons people don't commit to GTD because it's almost well, like they have to be accountable. Yeah, well, that's a little bit of a misunderstanding. You know, if you capture all the stuff you might want to do, you keep looking at it and go, no, I don't want to do that. That's just a renegotiation. Doesn't mean you have to do everything. Do you, do you order everything on the menu when you go to a restaurant? No. <laughs> you, you choose which one of those things right now would make, would be the most meaningful, most fun, most delicious, or whatever thing that I'm going to do. So that's how I look at my list. You, you can never finish. You're never going to finish everything that you've got commitments about. You just need to feel comfortable about your options. And hey, those are my options. And now let me make that choice one way or the other. And the people resist GTD because they think they have to do everything they keep track of if they just don't understand. They don't get it. So talk to us a little bit about negotiation and renegotiation. With an example. Well, if you have any commitment that you don't complete, if you, if you break a commitment with yourself, you don't exercise as much as you think you should. You don't handle, uh, you forgot that meeting. If you, don't, if, if you don't keep your commitments, if you break an agreement, they're all with yourself. A lot of them include other people, but they're all with yourself. If you don't keep that agreement, you're gonna pay a price automatically disintegrated trust. You're not going to trust yourself as much. You're not going to trust anybody else who breaks an agreement with you. There are a lot of people I love dearly, but I, I wouldn't trust that they're going to show up when they're going to tell me they're going to show up. Mm. So I don't, so if you break an agreement, you disintegrate trust. So if you don't want to disintegrate trust, <coughs> people's trust in you, as well as your trust in yourself, you have three options. Don't make the agreement. Hey, can you take a maybe on that? I'm not sure I have the bandwidth to be able to do that. You know, uh, so that's a good example of, you know, oh, sure, let's have lunch, right? <laughs> We've all heard that, yes. Yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, the Europeans just, that, that's the way they make fun of Americans because Americans always say, oh, let's have lunch, and they never do. They never do anything about that. You know, the Dutch here, you know, where I am, they go, let's have lunch. I go, why? <laughs> you know, and that's not a negative. They just go, yeah. Are you, you know, is that truly something you're going to do or not? So there's much more directness, you know, in the European cultures anyway, at least in the, the Dutch where I am, than, than in America. But anyway, if you break an agreement, you're going to disintegrate trust. So either don't make the agreement, then you won't have a broken one. Keep the agreement. Go have lunch with them. Go do that thing. Go finish that thing you told yourself you want to do. You feel good about it. That's keeping the agreement, right? Trust goes up. Yay. Third is look at that and go, no, not now. Let me renegotiate that. If I suddenly said, hey, Shabbat, Shabbat, uh, 
something came up. I don't have time to do this interview right now. Can we reschedule? Hmm. Right. I'm not keeping the original commitment, but I'm renegotiating it. That's not a broken agreement. So I still maintain my own self-trust. I still maintain it. So you got three options, either keep the agreement, don't make the agreement, or renegotiate it. And that's the key thing about these lists is you get to see all your agreements you've made with yourself and then renegotiate them daily, hourly. <laughs> no, not that. Okay, let me do that. No, not that. No, not that. But you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. Most people don't have a clue. And how does time management play into negotiation and renegotiation or people? Time management's a hoax. You can't manage time. You can't. You don't mismanage five minutes and come up with six or four and a half. Come on, time just is. It's an important factor. But you don't manage time. People call it time management because it's about self-management. They're just embarrassed to call it, I need help in managing myself. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they want to take a cold shower or sleep less or I don't know. They're trying to squeeze more out of the day. Yeah, well, that's fine. I mean, it's fine to be efficient. Efficiency got a bad rap, but I, I love... I, when I'm walking out of a room, I always see what's the easiest way to walk out of the room. I may decide not to do that. I may decide to, you know, to style and go somewhere else and you know, <laughs> do it easier. But I'm always thinking, what's the easier way to do this? So, look, if you like what you're doing, you want to be able to do it with easier, better, create even greater results. If you don't like what you're doing, but you still got to do it, you want to get it done as fast as you can so you get onto the stuff you like. Right, right. I, I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about your spiritual practice. You, you've had a few mentors in your life. I want you to walk us through that part of your life. Well, there's some of that I just can't share because that's just part personal. That's too, that's too internal okay. in terms of what it is. But, you know, I've had, you know, great teachers, mentors or whatever, a guy named John Roger that I ran across in 1971 who looked like he was way ahead of me in terms of his own exploration about the spiritual world and how to access those before you die. So I said, let me follow around with him till I find out what he knows and I go into something else. I never found out the end of what he knew. So he died about you know, three or four years ago, but you know, I was around this guy for 50 years. So, you know, that, that was a, a lot of the source of my practice, both practices and awarenesses. And then it, it, it created real experiences internally for me that were quite transformational. So hard to, hard to put those down. Hard to put those down. And um, for me, meditation is a key part of my spiritual practice. So I'm curious to see if there's ways that you meditate or things you would advise people to do and to stay present. Oh, just let go. like God or whoever or whatever that is to you, whatever the great, whatever the, the, the ultimate source of your, of you think the energy of the universe is, if you at least assume that that is there, he or she is there, that that thing is there, then let go means relax mm -hmm. so that you can then pay attention to what may show up internally and then pay attention to what shows up internally. One of the pieces of research I did was an interview with Wired you gave a, a while ago where you talked about your time in prison. 
you said that you were only allowed to have one thing in your possession at the Napa State Hospital, a spoon. I kind of wanted to see if that was transformative for you or that was just another thing that happened to you. How, how do you look back at some of those events and see how they've made you who you are today? <laughs> My wife would tell you, whenever she sees me being relaxed and patient about things, she said, that's eh, a big spoon thing. <laughs> yeah, it taught me a lot about, okay, relax. You can't change this. Let's accept whatever that reality is and make peace with it. So I, so I did. And that was a great lesson. So you can't denigrate any of the rungs of the ladder that got me to where I am. And I like where I am. You know, and things have turned out really well. So everything was some sort of, you know, step along the ladder of getting where I was in terms of what I learned, what I accepted, what I learned from it, the experience I had. So, yeah. All good stuff. In retrospect, not while I was there. <laughs> would me. you would you say anything different to your twenty year old self? Relax. And I probably my twenty year old self wasn't aware that there was an inner voice that I could access. And that's probably what the the coaching I would give myself back then was: Hey, relax. There is an inner voice who knows who you are, loves you dearly, and can guide you if you're willing to listen to it and ask it for the advice it could give you. And we could call it the higher self, you can call it your soul, you can call it your spirit, you can call it your liver, whatever it is <laughs> that you would trust that is the source of the still small voice inside of you that kind of knows what's going on and what's the best thing. And it's totally patient. It doesn't care if you screw up. It's still there. It'll be around whenever you ask for it. I love it. Now, I always ask my guests if there are books that have influenced them in their life. Obviously, your book is a big influence on all of us. Aside from GTD, are there other books that have made a big impact on you? Oh, many times. You know, oftentimes I read a book and I think, oh, that's that, what a cool thing. You know, so there are dozens and dozens of those. But lately, a book called Humankind, really wonderful book I recommend for people. Rutger uh, Begman, he's a Dutchman, but he's written it's a rant really about the, how bad spatial media is in terms of creating perceptions of how negative the human world is when it, the human world is actually quite generous and quite uh, positive. It's so human, Humankind, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great book. It's a, it's a big book, but it's an easy read and and he writes brilliantly. It's funny you mention it because I just finished it two weeks ago and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's such a positive book and it's like a breath of fresh air when everyone's, um, you know, talking about the malaise that befalls mankind, right? It's a very positive book. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, The Antidote by Oliver Berkman, you know, happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. Great book. You know, very funny. He's a great writer. I've had many books over the years that have been, that were sort of uh, a milestone for, oh, that's a whole new thing, a way to think about stuff. But What's your superpower? What do you mean? I mean, that something that you do that other people can't do as well. I would think it's GTD, but I'm just wondering if there's a special gift that you have that you feel fortunate to have. Uh, I think, you know, one of the gifts I think I sort of 
came onto the planet with was the uh, the ability that when I'm in a positive state and I get around people, it transmits that to them. So that there's a freedom that shows up just by people listening to me, people talking to me, that you'll feel more relaxed, you'll feel more free and more able to do that. I seem to have a natural ability to do that. So wonderful. And yeah, and my voice, <laughs> it's a good radio voice. A lot of people love listening to it. So it's fantastic. You know, I, fantastic. I guess those are I guess those are sort of unique features of myself. Um, what is the future for GTD and productivity? Beats me. We're out here just doing this work as best we can, just getting, trying to get it to the people who need it and want it. And so trying to scale this is something we've been trying over the last 10 to 15 years, trying to build a business. Once the book became international and well-known and the brand became well-known, trying to take advantage of that and be able to extend our reach in terms of how many people could have access to this, how easily. So that's, I don't think I'll finish that as long as I'm alive. Are you planning to uh, publish another book along the same there's line? A, yeah, there's another book in the works, more about teams and how TTD affects groups of people. And so, you know, we're working on that. As um, work has moved to a more hybrid model and as people are juggling work and life and life and work, what has changed? Are people doing more with less? What, what are some things you can tell people as they struggle between home and work and everything being in the same place and space? Well, it's nice to create separate spaces. So, you know, when I'm sitting here, like I'm sitting here at my desk, I get into work mode, I get into that. I turn on, I've got a Spotify playlist called Work Classics. Vivaldi and Bach primarily, I put those on and that gets me into doing the work stuff that I need to do, like my bookkeeping stuff, my processing, my in-basket, doing, you know, all doing that kind of stuff. I have a more of a relaxed, easy chair that I sit in if I'm trying to do some creative thinking and creative writing. So I think creating your context. So, you know, a lot of people, First of all, if you, again, if you're a digital nomad or you've always worked from home or whatever, you've probably got your systems already set up for that. But if it's new to you, then you need to make sure you've got your own individual space. It doesn't have to be big, it just needs to be you. Don't share with anybody. You need to be able to sit down and hit the road running. Boom, I'm sitting in this space. I now do these kinds of things. <clears throat> and if you live with other people to let them know when I'm in that space, that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll handle dinner, I'll handle kids, I'll handle the dogs when I'm out there with them doing that. But so, you know, so, sort of psychological context, if you will, or psych psychophysical context. A lot of times, like put on your different clothes, you'll do different things. You know, sit in different places, you will think in different ways. So make sure you've created an environment that you like, that you love sitting in. That's why we renovated an apartment for the last year. And so this is my own little office that, I picked the paint and the shelving and, you know, got my printer and scanner right behind me. So I can just swivel, you know, so just, just nice to do that. So a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, in, at least in Europe anyway, the, the renovation construction people are overwhelmed because everybody's sitting at home now going, oh, we ought to really change this. Or, you know, I really don't like this or whatever. I need to set up more of a home office. So... That's always a good idea to do. 
So obviously, if you can create your own space with a door, that's helpful, you know, tremendously, but sometimes you can't. And if you're just sharing a space with other people, just know, do the best you can to, you know, create your own space that you like and that you do the kind of work that you need to do when you sit in that space and then let other people know that's what you're doing. I want to go back to something you mentioned at the start of the interview, which was uh, productivity comes with baggage. I want to tease that a little bit from the perspective of so many people have now latched onto this movement. Everybody has a book. People are talking about habits. People are talking about apps. I just want to understand what you meant, because I feel like it means different things to different people. And what can we do to correct our own assessment of what productivity is? I don't know. I have no idea. No? No, as I said before, productivity just means produce a result you want. So I think getting clear about what are the results you want. A lot of people, I, I'm not a lot, I've run across a lot of very big advocates of GTD that got so excited once they got GTD, they started creating more and more projects and more and more projects because they knew they could get them done. And then they wound up burning out or feeling overwhelmed by how many things they produced because they figured they could. Okay. Wait, okay. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. This is GTD is not about <laughs> more, 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 more. It's about producing, you know, what you want, a lifestyle you want, a, a, a balance that you want, uh, whatever. So there's just no better word than productivity. It means productivity means produce. So produce means you know, create or you know have an experience or have a thing. You know, so again, but the baggage is because productivity has been so tied to working more, working harder, just being more efficient, getting more done, you know, necessarily. Yeah, Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. You know, if you, if, if you really love your work, I mean, some, you know, there are people I know who, who just work, you know, 24 seven, except for sleep and eating and whatever because they still are engaged in their work that's totally appropriate there's nothing wrong with that so you know it's not about x amount of time you have to spend doing these kind of things x amount of time doing these kind of things you just have to are you cool with what you're doing i mean i mean if you're 22 and it's all in a drill rush you get bored going home you get bored <laughs> if you're not engaged in the thing that you're doing you know it's going to get you to whatever it is that you're after why do you think it is that there have been so many books and apps and just lots of lots of blogs, everything about productivity skyrocketing after you wrote your book? I guess because what I came up with in my book were the underlying principles and that it's agnostic about what tools you use. It's the underlying principles. So I don't care. People need to customize how they implement this stuff, you know. And so it gave all the tech people in a way to use the tools they loved and use them in much more highly effective ways. And also, the tech people are almost as lazy as I am. I mean, come on, the whole tech industry—you should know this—is all built around how do you get people to get stuff done better and easier with less effort. That's the whole—that's the sub—that's the whole core of what the tech industry is about. Do you find that Europe has a different um, definition of productivity? No. no. It's more of a human issue. Not just a, I don't think it's a geographical issue. 
but any you know anybody that's got a busy life that wants to be able to have it do do more do better or do it with less effort or be able to expand whatever they're doing you know this that's why gtd is universal anybody who wants that yeah you know can can use it to make that happen and i haven't found any bias culturally gender age you know professional standing doesn't matter where can people find you how can they get engaged how can they get started well getting things done the new edition of the book is a good manual but a lot of people get overwhelmed when they get the book because it's got so much in there uh you know you you've probably surfed if you go to gettingthingsdone.com that's our website but if you go to gettingthingsdone.com/youtube you can go see my TED, TED talks you can go see you know two minute things i've done you can see all kinds of stuff you kind of like to play around with youtube so there's a lot of ways that you can get more information other perspectives on this you've obviously done that you know already just to prepare for, prep for this so that's another way to do it if you go to our website there's a newsletter that you can sign up for, for free and that keeps you kind of informed about what we're doing if you're interested in more in depth both training and or specific individual coaching on this you go to our website and then click on training and coaching and then type in your country wherever you are you'll see who our certified trainers and coaches are you know doing this work and spreading them around we're represented in 90 countries now i think and if you're in the us they were vital smarts they're not crucial learning there are licensees for doing gtd basic gtd training they do great work and so there's lots of ways lots of ways to play you want to surf around just do that is this individual or at a corporate level that's at an organizational level would be the training that that crucial learning does though they do public trainings and even virtual ones that you can just sign up for individually uh one on one coaching our partner in the US and Canada is GTD Focus so gtdfocus.com you would see and that's pretty sophisticated you know pretty senior level coaching one on one work that my partners that do excellent and people can find you on linkedin and twitter as well yeah yeah just surf around thank you for your time so do you want to share takeaways for the audience on productivity Yeah, well, your heads for having ideas, not for holding them, and perceive start to shift your focus from problems to projects. Can't get any simpler than that. Thanks so much for your time, David. It's been a true pleasure to have you here and talk to us about all things productivity and GTD. My pleasure. Thanks, Shalom. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Change Alchemist with David Allen. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This is your host Shobhana Vishwanathan signing off. Be sure to tune in to previous episodes and stay tuned for exciting episodes coming your way soon.